title of the message this morning is Climb Higher. Climb Higher. And our text is in Joshua. And I'm not going to read the scripture before I speak to you, the, uh, at least the text of scripture. I uh, want, to, want to cover some background, but before we get started, I would like to have you stand and we'll have prayer together. And I assure you, we will be reading the text, so if that worries you, you can lay that aside. Dear Lord, we bow our heads before you this morning, realizing that if there's any good thing to be said this morning, it will certainly be prompted by the Holy Spirit. I pray, dear Lord, that I will be a faithful servant, that, Lord, I will speak the truth, Lord, I will encourage people that are here to follow Christ. Lord, uh, I will help people to have the desire to move up, move closer, to be all they can be for God. Lord, for all you do, I give you the praise, ascribe to you the glory and the honor, for you are worthy. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You may be seated for the message. This message is one that has some background, as many of them do, in the scriptures. And when sometimes we assume that everybody knows, it doesn't necessarily make it so, does it? <clears throat> everybody may not know. It may not be familiar with everybody. And... So, as we come to the scripture this morning, the words in the, in, that, are, that are given in the bulletin or the verse reference in Joshua has to do with Caleb. <clears throat> and Caleb is an outstanding figure uh, in the nation of Israel when... Israel was set free from bondage when God delivered them from bondage in Egypt. And if you know your Bible at all, you realize that the Egyptians actually uh, were a place, or Egypt was actually a place where Israel grew greatly in number. God had given to Abraham the land of Canaan and God had revealed to Abraham that his family and their, they are identified by tribes, his family were going to go down to the land of Egypt and they were going to be there for a time. So it was like 70 that went from Canaan down to Egypt. And that was, just to refresh your memory a little bit, that all happened in the time when Joseph was sold into slavery. Remember some of your Bible stories? Uh, Joseph was the coat of many colors. And uh, so in Egypt, the Israelites lived in the, the land of Goshen. You ever heard that if you read Snuffy Smith as a kid? Uh, you might remember that because that was, wasn't that what Mrs. Snuffy always said? Wasn't it Mrs. Snuffy that said, land of Goshen, Snuffy? <laughs> well, well, that's where that came from. <laughs> uh, so... Uh, they lived there and, and were made slaves eventually, uh, being, being there 400 and some years. And then God delivered them. Remember, uh, wasn't it Charleston Heston that got them out? No, no, that was the movie, wasn't it? <laughs> Stay with me now. That was the movie. Uh, Moses is the one that brought them out uh, under the power of God's deliverance. And... So they, they journeyed in what's called the wilderness. 
the land between Egypt and Canaan because other people lived in the land of Canaan and God had told them that because of the iniquity, because of the sin of the people in the land of Canaan, that he was going to allow the Israelites to dispossess them, to take over their land. And so uh, they were, were to go in and God was going to give them the land of Canaan. Uh, which we call today Israel. And so, are you all with me? And uh, so, the, the scripture tells us that uh, after God had given them his laws, the Ten Commandments, other civil laws, so they would live in a civil society when they got into the land of promise, Israel, uh, that uh, they were going to go across uh, the river and they were going to go into the land and it was going to be given to them with, they were going to have to conquer the inhabitants, but God was going to allow that to happen. And so uh, you read about things that went on in the book of Numbers. Um, and then it's recapped again in the book of Deuteronomy. A great deal of it is recapped in the book of Deuteronomy in, uh, with less words. Uh, Moses recounts what went on and how it went on. Uh, you realize that your preacher still learns things. I'm glad that I can still learn things. Because I had, I had a question. I thought, you know, God sent, God, God allowed Moses to send, or to send spies into Israel or the land of Canaan from the wilderness. And I, I wondered about that. Why, why, did, why did spies go into the land of Israel? Do you remember why spies went into the land of Israel? As I was reading and studying, I came across it. And I'll give that to you this morning because we're, we're going to look first at the book of Deuteronomy. And uh, in verse 19 of chapter 1, Deuteronomy is the fifth book of the Old Testament. It's part of the Pentateuch. And so, uh, or the Torah. Uh, so, looking at verse 19, and see, this wasn't in your bulletin, so uh, bulletin don't tell all. Uh, sometimes you have to come to church to learn what's going to happen. So, we're looking at verse 19, and I won't make you stand. Uh, Moses recounts, and as we departed from Horeb, we went through all the great and terrible wilderness, which he saw by way of the mountain of the Amorites, as the Lord our God commanded us, and we came to Kadesh Barnea. And I said unto you, <clears throat> You are come unto the mountain of the Amorites, which the Lord our God doth give unto us. Behold, the Lord thy God hath set the land before thee. Go up and possess it, as the Lord God of thy fathers hath said unto thee. Fear not, neither be discouraged. <coughs> now here's the answer to my question. And ye came near unto me, every one of you, and said, We will send men before us, and they shall search us out the land, and bring us word again by what way we must go up, and into what cities we shall come. So there's the answer. It was the people's idea to send spies. And, and, and the reasoning was sound. Uh, it was uh, to search it out. What do we call, it's a word that we don't use very much. Is that reconnoiter? 
they, were, they were going to search it out and find out the best route to take, the cities and so forth that they were going to encounter. And the saying pleased me well. And I took 12 men of you, one of a tribe. So I told you they were counted by tribes. So we're talking about 12 tribes. And they turned and went up into the mountain and came unto the valley of Eskel and searched it out. And they took the fruit of the land in their hands and brought it down unto us. And as you read the account of that, they, they, cl they cut a cluster of grapes. It says one cluster of grapes. And it took two men to carry it on poles. You think about those grapes. Those were some grapes, weren't they? And uh, Eskel actually means, the valley of Eskel actually means cluster. You didn't know that, did you? I didn't know that either. That's what the valley of Eskel, Eskel, the word Eskel actually means cluster. So they determined it was a good land which the Lord our God doth give us. Well, that stands to reason, doesn't it? Because God does give us good things. Notwithstanding, you would not go up, but rebelled against the commandment of the Lord your God. And you murmured in your tents and said, Because the Lord hated us, he hath brought us forth out of the land of Egypt to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us. Now think about it. That doesn't even make sense, does it? God had already shown great and mighty power to defeat the Egyptians. He dried up the Red Sea so they could get through there. He had defeated their enemies. He had seen to it that they had food and water miraculously, and I can't recount all those episodes because the service would be too long. But uh, they, they were provided for, and now they come to what God has promised them, and they think God's going to forsake them. God's, God's not going to let us have this land. God hates us. Uh, has bad things ever happened? Have bad things ever happened in your life? And you think, what's, what's the Lord doing? Why is this happening to me? Um, but God doesn't hate us. And God didn't hate them. And so they would not go in. Uh, whither shall we go up? Our brethren have discouraged our hearts, saying, The people is greater and taller than we. The cities are great and walled up to the heaven, or walled up to heaven. And moreover, we have seen the sons of the Anakins there. The Anakins were giants. Uh, they were very tall. And then I said unto you, Dread not, neither be afraid of them. The Lord your God, which goeth before you, he shall fight for you according to all that he did for you in Egypt before your eyes. So Moses is a faithful servant of the Lord. He's reminding them God has been faithful. God has done all that he promised, and you've seen what he could do. Uh, he says, and in the wilderness where thou hast seen how that the Lord thy God bear thee as a man doth bear his son, in all the way that ye went, until ye came into this place. But they would not go. And it got so intense when you're reading in the book of Numbers about this, and you find the account that Moses is recounting uh, in the book of Numbers in chapter 14, chapter 13 and chapter 14, uh, gives you the actual episode. Uh, they were ready to get a captain and head back to Egypt. They were going to find someone to lead them and get them back to the land of slavery. Uh, they, uh, they were ready to stone to death Moses and Joshua, Caleb. Uh, they were ready to stone them to death and to head back to Egypt. And the Lord had to intervene to prevent that from happening. Uh, 
And uh, so then they said they were not going to go. Uh, but there, was, there were two of the spies, Joshua and Caleb. Joshua is a name that's very familiar to us. Caleb and Joshua withstood all the ten spies that said, we cannot do it. We cannot do it. We cannot be victorious. And God saw the faithfulness of Joshua and Caleb. He said, if you will not do it, and you've said that your little kids are going to be killed in the fray, that they are going to be put to death because you're going to be in battle and you're going to lose the battle, I'll tell you what God said. You're, you're not going in. You say you won't go in, then you're not going in. Not now, not later. You're going to for every day the spies had searched the land for 40 days, God said, for every day you search the land, I'm going to add a year to that. And I'm going to say, for 40 years, you're going to wander around in this wilderness. You're, going to, you're just going to go in circles here and there. And... The little ones you said that are going to be put to death, they're going to be the ones that are going to go over and take the land of Canaan and destroy the enemies. And so you don't have to worry about it. You're not going. Well, you know, when things turn around and you have told God what you're not going to do and then God said, says, okay, then I'll say you're not going to. That night, they started repenting. Sometimes repentance is a little too late, isn't it? They cried. They carried on. They realized they'd made a big mistake. In the morning, they got up. They said, well, we, we changed our minds. We are going to go. Joshua or Moses said, don't do it. Don't do it. Because God's not with you to do this now. The Lord has withdrawn his special enablement for you to go. He's not going with you. So don't go. They said, oh yeah, we're going to go. We're going to show the Lord that we're going to be obedient now. We're going to go. Uh, the writer of Rhyme said they came to the very threshold, but they never entered in. They came to the gates of Canaan, but they perished in their sins. On the morrow, they would have entered, but God had shut the gate. They wept, they rashly ventured, but alas, it was too late. And so we are always coming to a place where two ways part. One leads to the land of promise and one to a hardening heart. So, they went, they went to the mountain, and their enemies chased them, clear down through the hills, and killed many of them until they realized they could not do this in their own strength. They had lost the strength that God was going to give them to do it. And so the Bible says that God made exception for Joshua and Caleb to the 40 years. Uh, if you look uh, in your scripture at Joshua chapter 14 and verse 12, Caleb says, Now therefore give me this mountain whereof the Lord spake in that day. For thou heardest in that day how the Anakins are there, and that the cities are, were great and fenced. If so be, the Lord will be with me, and I shall be able to drive them out, as the Lord hath said. So let me bring you up to speed to Joshua. But 
If you look still in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 1, and, and looking a little further, and I'm going to repeat what I've just told you. Verse 34, chapter 134 in Deuteronomy, And the Lord heard the voice of your words, and was wroth, and swear, saying, Surely there shall not one of these men of this evil generation See that good land which I swear to give unto your fathers. Save or accept for Caleb, the son of Jephunneh. He shall see it, and to him will I give the land that he had trodden upon, and to his children, because, here's key folks, because he hath wholly followed the Lord because he hath wholly followed the Lord. And so we see them for 40 years tramping around in the, in the wilderness. And it's quite a picture as you think about this generation that had rejected and resisted God's will. You see aging come to them. You see the effects of time taking a toll on them. You see eventually a lot of funerals, a lot of, a lot of bodies buried in this wilderness. They had started out from Egypt. They had seen the power of God. They had seen the miracles that God could do, but they rejected. And so they never got to where they were supposed to arrive. They died in the wilderness, except for two of them. Now we have the little families coming along, these kids they were worried about, they're growing up. Isn't it amazing? You see Joshua, whom the Lord said, because he followed the Lord, he was going to go into the land of Israel or Canaan. And you see Caleb. Yeah, they're both getting older, but they're not getting feeble. Somewhere or another, they're still, they're still active. They're still able. You know, others, oh, they can't hardly get up. They can't hardly get around. Uh, Caleb's getting up and moving around, doing this and that. He's helping some of the others. And he tries to, he tries to be a support and a help. But no matter what he does, death is coming. All those that are 20 years of age and above are going to die in the wilderness. And so the scripture says that that is exactly what happened, that they were barred from going into the land of promise. They, they died in the wilderness, except for Joshua and Caleb. Even Moses himself did not go into the land of Canaan. He had disobeyed the Lord, and the Lord allowed him to see it by a vision, but he was not allowed to go into the land of Israel, at least not till later, after he died. But at this time, he was barred. And the scripture says, then that Joshua became the leader. Moses died, Joshua became the leader. And... Joshua was a great man of God, obeyed the Lord, led the people over into the land of Canaan, showed how God could dry up the water before them so they could go across over into the land. And so they've gone in, they've conquered various cities. We see how Jericho falls. God does it in a miraculous way. Finally, after the land is somewhat subdued, 
this Caleb fellow is now, he was 40, now he is 40 plus 5 because they've been five years in subduing the various cities after they crossed over into the land. And so he's now 85 years old. And in verse 6 of Joshua chapter 14, and you can follow along if you like, then the children of Judah came unto Joshua in Gilgal, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said unto him, Thou knowest the thing that the Lord said unto Moses, the man of God, concerning me and thee. You know what God said about me, Joshua, and about you, Joshua, in Kadesh Barnea. Forty years old was I when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to espy out the land. And I brought him word again as it was in mine heart. And that was, we can do it. God said it, and we can do it with God's help. It doesn't matter how tall they are. It doesn't matter how fortified the cities are. We can do it. If God said do it, he's going to be with us and we can do it. Nevertheless, my brethren that went up with me made the heart of the people melt. But I wholly followed the Lord my God. Remember what I spoke to you about last week? Being sanctified holy the will of God it's what Caleb says Caleb says I wholly followed the Lord now that means we're not holding anything back doesn't it that means we're doing what Romans 12 1 says where Paul beseeches them or begs them by the mercies of God that they present their bodies a living sacrifice wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, being sold out 100%. And remember I told you that when we talk about entire sanctification, there's two parts. That sanctification has a twofold meaning, not a double meaning, but a twofold meaning. One of them is consecration, and that's what Romans 12, 1 says. And the other one is to make holy. And we cannot make ourselves holy. But we can present ourselves to the Lord. And I made that clear to you last week that the Holy Spirit is for those who know Jesus as their Savior. The world cannot seek for the Holy Spirit. He is for Christians. And he wants to fully control our lives, and help us to be obedient to the Lord. Folks, we need that entire consecration. We need that sanctification through and through because, let's face it, some people are hard to take. And because when you're in union with people in a church, it does not mean that everything is all hunky-dory that there are conflicts and there are problems. And if the Lord doesn't help you and give you grace and strength to know how to deal with problems, then you can pull back and you can cease to be the victorious Christian God wants you to be. It's not God's will for us to get mad and pout. It's not God's will for us to throw a temper tantrum. And it's not God's will for us to try to get even with people and show them. Um, those things only come back to our defeat. They come back to cause us to be less than God wants us to be. Think how strong 
Caleb had to be. Joshua was more with Moses, and he was learning leadership. He was helping make decisions, and yes, there were some really tough decisions to make. Caleb was back with the people. Think of all the, all the things that Caleb had to hear. Can you imagine the, the thing that they should have accomplished in their lives, they failed at. Their dream was dead. Their dream, they were going to go from Egypt, they were going to go into the Canaan land, into the land of promise. They were, they were going to have everything as it ought to be. God had provided it for them. But they failed. And now they're living in a wilderness of defeat. And can you imagine the grumbling and complaining they did? I mean, if you think they were hard on Moses and Joshua and Caleb, think of how the men were with their wives. Uh, you know... Can't, can't you make this manna some other way? Uh, you, you, you do the same thing every day with this manna. We're, we're sick of it. We want, we want a little syrup on the manna. We want, we want a little honey on the manna. But they hadn't gone far enough to get the honey. They hadn't gone far enough to get the, the syrup, the date syrup. Uh, they were still in the land of defeat. And folks, the negative, bitter attitudes of people in the church can pull you down and tear you down and defeat you and get you to get your eyes off of Jesus and get you to look at circumstances and problems instead of looking at things in your life through the eyes of faith to say, I'm on a journey the Lord's promised me victory, and I'm going to keep on going, and I'm going to advance, I'm going to move up, whatever others do. Some of us have been in the church for a long time. You realize I've been preaching for 60 years almost. Well, licensed for 60, I preached longer than that. When I was a student in high school, I was thinking about my couple of my teachers that helped me, Mrs. Tobias, my English, no, my speech teacher, and Tobias, my English teacher at Westerville High School. We only had one then, only one Westerville High School. And I had, I had been a, just a sloppy, just fool around, hang around, not trying, but when I got in the 11th, 12th grade, I started trying. I realized God's call on my life to be a minister. And I thought, I need, to, I need to buckle down here and see what I can do. And so it really encouraged my teachers. They, it, it made them feel like that what they had set out to do in teaching, they were accomplishing it. <laughs> and so they were greatly, they were greatly encouraged and and they encouraged me, and I, I, think it was, I think it was Mrs. Wadley that set it up for me to go to OSU. And she, I preached in speech class, and she wanted me to go deliver that sermon at OSU in a speech contest at OSU. And so I took my little sermon, went to OSU, and the professor's in the back, and there's people in the in the room and they're listening and, and I preached my sermon to them that uh, they needed to give their lives to Jesus Christ too. So I, I started preaching before I got a license. Uh, of course, the church gave me a local license and then things went on from there. But yeah, I've been preaching for longer than 60 years, so I don't know why I'm not any better than I am, folks. <laughs> I've had plenty of practice. <laughs> but that's just the way it is. So think about, think about how 
you've seen some people. I said I've been at it a long time, and, and you thought I lost my thought, but I didn't. Because you see some people coming to the church, and they forge ahead. And you see other people that are in the church, and it's like they're just settled down. They're, they're not studying. They're not learning. They're not excited about the things of God. They're not reading their Bible. They're, they're not challenged in faith. They want everything handed to them, and they want to be comfortable. And then you look at these others. We'll call them upshoots because they haven't been at it very long. But they're moving ahead. I think about the game warden. Remember, Phyllis, at the Delaware church? Bob came in. Bob was a game warden. I met him when I was out deer hunting. And Bob came to church. And we were having communion. And I said, you need to know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior if, if you're going to take communion. Bob Miller had always taken communion in a formal church, but he said, after you said that, I couldn't take communion. He didn't get saved under my ministry, but he got saved under somebody else's preaching. And went on, gave up the game warden job, and began to be a preacher. And is still serving the Lord. I saw him this last, uh, last year at camp meeting. So, you know, you see people that want to move up for God and do things for God. And God challenge them, challenges them, maybe, maybe in their giving, that they can do it. If they'll trust God, God will help them. And maybe you have to start off small, but you're consistent, you say. I'm going to give every week. I'm going, to, I'm going to see that God gets it off the top. It may not be exactly what the preacher said, but I'm going to see that God gets it off the top. And then I'm going to get the trickle down, whatever it is. Yeah, we've seen them. They come in, and they move up, and they move on. And I could tell you some other stories this morning, but I'm not going to do that. You know what I'm talking about. And you know that sometimes it's just easy to say, well, I've come, I've put my hat on the rack back there if you wear a hat. And, you know, I showed up for service. I've done what's required of me. Uh, let somebody else carry the responsibilities of the church. You know, that's going to be an inter interference in my life because I like to, I like to do things, and I'm, I can't always be there, so I'm not going to worry too much about it. I don't want to commit myself that much. So I want the church there as a convenience. I want it there so to make me feel better. But let somebody else do the work. I told you the story, it wasn't in my church. You know people were holding back and they were, they were there was a, a need for a person in the nursery. They needed someone to take care of the babies, and take care of the little kids. I wish we had that problem here. We, we miss the little kids. But the preacher was making his appeal. Wouldn't somebody volunteer? Well, there was a young convert there. And you know all young converts don't look like they're supposed to. They don't get cleaned up on the outside as quick as they do on the inside. There was a long-haired hippie there that had found Jesus Christ as his personal Savior. And the preacher's making his appeal, and nobody will say they'll do anything with the kids. Well, this new convert felt like somebody ought to do something, so he stood up. Can you imagine the mothers looking around at that sight? I'll do it. Well, suddenly there were a lot of volunteers in the church. <laughs> they didn't want him doing it. 
They were willing to do it. Yeah, yeah, we can let we can let things go and we can drift along and we can realize maybe we were too easy on ourselves. I used to cry. People wondered. I mean, I wasn't crying, but my eyes, my eyes were watering. Uh, whenever it was time for me to preach, as as a, a newbie. Uh, my nerves, I guess. You know, some people dry all up. I, I went all moist, and I wasn't crying, but water would run. You know, it was embarrassing. But I pushed through that. Yeah, it's not always easy to do what God directs you to do. So here, the, here, here we come. God had given his promises, but they wouldn't act on them. Uh, many fail to fully follow the Lord. If you want points, those were the points. I don't know if I hit them. I think I did. Uh, partial surrender is to fail. We must move away from failure. And we need to claim God's will for us. We need to claim God's will for us. We need to push on. Needs, between, needs to be between us and God. You don't have, you don't have a, a problem with the preacher, you know. It's between you and God. I'm here as his representative. And so Caleb moved on. And so let's go on and read some more of this here in Joshua chapter 14. We've said that there were those that made the heart of the people melt, but I wholly followed the Lord my God. And Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land whereon thy feet have trodden shall be thine inheritance. Now he's talking to Caleb. And thy children forever, because thou hast wholly followed the Lord thy God. There we are again. You've wholly followed the Lord thy God. And now... Behold, the Lord hath kept me alive. Praise the Lord. You know, I'm like John Maxwell. John Maxwell said, I wish some people, some of the people that I meet had my faith because they're so afraid of dying. Here Caleb says, the Lord's kept me alive. If you're alive this morning, it's because the Lord's kept you alive. It isn't, it isn't all on the credit of the doctors and the medicines and so forth, and I give them a lot of credit. But let's face it. Boy, I could give a lot of illustrations about people that ought to be dead, but some way God's kept them alive. These 40 and 5 years, Caleb said, he's kept me alive. It, even since the Lord spake this word unto Moses, while the children of Israel wandered in the wilderness. And lo, I am this day fourscore and five years old. I'm 85. I'm 85. As yet I am as strong this day as I was in the day that Moses sent me. As my strength was then, even so is my strength now for war both to go out and to come in. Well, you know... I can't say that. I can't say that I can, I can, yeah, I can go out, but I can't always come in. <laughs> you know, my joints start hurting. But Caleb said, I can go out and I can come in. Now, therefore, give me this mountain, whereof the Lord spake in that day. For thou heardest in that day how the Anakins were there, the giants, and that the cities were great and fenced, you know how it is when you go into a short person's home, a tall person's got to duck their head, you know? Well, these giants, they built stuff big. They didn't have to duck their heads. They could walk through, and so everything looked to be tall and enormous. If so be the Lord be with me, then I shall be able to drive them out as the Lord said. And Joshua blessed him and gave unto Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, 
Hebron for an inheritance. Hebron therefore became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, unto this day, because that he wholly followed the Lord God of Israel. And the name of Hebron before was Kirjath Arba, which Arba, he was a giant, was a great man among the Anakins, the giants. And the Lord and the land had rest from war. And, I'll, and, and some of you that are Bible scholars might want to know that Jephunneh was a Kenizzite. He evidently was part of Esau's family, if you check that out. And Jephunneh became an Israelite, was adopted over into that. So don't say the preacher didn't tell you that. And so, at 85, at 85, Caleb said, I've waited for my time. I've waited for my time. And now give me what God promised. Charles Williams wrote a thing. He spiritualized on it, so... Don't get too carried away if you think that Hebron doesn't have hills this high. He was spiritualizing. You'd have to go to the north of Israel and get to Mount Hermon. That's where they snow ski and stuff like that up around Lebanon. But down here around Hebron, they don't do that. But Charles Williams spiritualized it about Christians going higher. And this is such a nice piece. I wanted to read it to you this morning. His name was Caleb. He was the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite. At 40 years, he had set out with 11 other men from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the promised land. He had seen and felt the same things the others had seen and felt. The walled cities, the impregnable battlements, and the fierce sons of Anak. But instead of looking to the circumstances, he looked to God, and he brought back the report we are well able to take the land. Let us go up at once. Now, 45 years later, when he is 85, the promised land is his. The wilderness wanderings are for, forever behind. And this old warrior is ready to choose his home. He stands erect, his white hair framing a face tanned like leather. And he says, I am 85 years old, and yet I am as strong as when I was 40. I am good either for war or peace. Now I shall choose where I shall live. Before him were fertile valleys, sloping down to silver streams. There were gently rolling hills, not too high and just right for grazing herds or growing grapes. But the old warrior's eyes looked to the distance and saw the mountain. Old like he was, old and strong like he was strong. It seemed unique and apart. Towering over the whole world, its peaks wearing an ermine of white and shrouded with perpetual clouds. The old warrior said, give me this mountain. And we read in Joshua 15, 14 in Hebron became the inheritance of Caleb. Where's Caleb, I said, thinking by now he would probably be in a rest home somewhere. <clears throat> After all, he was more than 85 years old. Rest home, they said. No, he's not in a rest home. You see that tallest mountain, that's where Caleb lives. And I journeyed on past little checkerboard farms and ambling grape vineyards till I felt we began to climb, and there was a right nice village, lots of people. Where's Caleb, I asked. Oh, he lives up on the mountain, they said. He's rarely ever seen down here anymore. You'll know him, his hair is white like the snow, and he's old and rugged like this mountain, and tall like the cedars. You'll know him, but climb higher. And climb higher I did until I came to another village. Not as many people had taken the trouble to climb this far. Where's Caleb, I asked. 
Oh, you're not high enough, they said. He lives way up on the mountain. You will have to climb higher. He's scarcely ever seen here. I did climb higher, and finally, I found a few, a very few dwellings clustered together. I thought, surely, this is where Caleb lived. No, they said, we see him occasionally, but he lives way up there on the point. Just keep climbing, and climb I did until the whole world was at my feet, and the mountain had thrust, thrust itself and me right up into the sky. It seemed I could stick out my finger and rake the turquoise off the arching dome. And as I broke through the clearing, leaving the noise and the clutter of the world below, there was Caleb, the old warrior prince. His hair white like the snow is white. He was tall like cedars are tall, and strong like the granite peaks are strong. Mountain flowers were around his cottage door. Mountain birds were singing in the arbor nearby. A flask of Canaan grape juice was in his hand, and he was licking Canaan honey from off his lips. Then I heard him sing, I am dwelling on the mountain where the golden sunlight gleams, or a land whose wondrous beauty far exceeds my fondest dreams where the air is pure ethereal, laden with the breath of flowers. They are blooming by the fountain, neath the amaranthum bowers. I can see far down the mountain, where I wandered many years, often hindered on my journey by the ghosts and doubts, the ghosts of doubts and fears, broken vows and disappointments, thickly sprinkled o'er the way, but the spirit led unearing to the land I hold today. Is not this the land of Beulah? Blessed, blessed land of light, where the flowers bloom forever and the sun is always bright. His name was Caleb and he lived on a mountain by Charles Williams. Will you stand with me this morning? <clears throat> 